everyone, welcome back to the Earthdawn Survival Guide, a podcast for all disciplines, paths, players, game masters, casual fans, and diehard enthusiasts like Josh and myself. I am, of course, Dan. With me, of course, is Josh. Welcome to episode 40, everybody. 4-0. I'm glad you're here with us today. And glad whether you are just joining us or have been with us for the long haul, we were talking before we started recording and realized that we are about, uh, at least as of this recording, like six weeks out of our one year anniversary of our first episode drop. Yeah. Many podcasts never make it this far. Um, and we are <laughs> still going and still going strong. So my second one did not. So this is my third, <laughs> third well, time's the charm. Yeah. But any suggestions on how we should celebrate that, listeners? Because at the moment, this, uh, since we just discussed it, Josh and I have absolutely no idea other yeah. than continuing to do this and have a good time at it. So yeah. that's our um, anniversary. So, surprise. so yeah. So, so two, <laughs> so two questions then that we have sort of directed to you. Before we get to the questions from you, lovely folks, we actually have yes. a couple of of questions that maybe you can come, you know, like contribute and and perhaps help us out. One is if you have any ideas. Um, about what we could do as a special uh, one-year anniversary thing. That mm -hmm. would be cool. Uh, the other yeah. is that, that we were talking about with with the successful completion recently of the IOPOS Kickstarter, and the physical books of that will be winding their way, actually, as of the release of this episode, hopefully are already winding their way to our lovely backers. Uh, the completion of the Empty Thrones Kickstarter and the, uh, hopefully by the time that this episode drops, release of the full PDF available to people on that. Backers, of course, have already seen the, the pre-release version of that, mm -hmm. um, and feedback has been great. So we've had a, a couple uh, of, like, successful and well-received books, um, where we as a development team are very, are becoming a lot more comfortable and confident in our ability to provide, um, high quality content. Oh, and we have a third Kickstarter to start. And and we have a a third Kickstarter that uh, that just launched two days ago as of our recording, as of the release of this episode, will have been going now about two weeks, and we'll have maybe yeah. about a, a week or so left. Um, that is for uh, a print version of Champion's Challenge, the Earthdawn webcomic, uh, written and drawn by Don Higgins, and the adventures compiled of, into graphic novel. Yeah, format. compiled into a into a book format. Don Higgins, uh, the story of Bazette, uh, a Kistulami to Scrang, uh, who has not really fit in with the life in his village thus far and finds himself somewhat unceremoniously thrust into a world of adventure. And, uh, the, the. Oh, yeah. I already backed this one. Yeah. It's, Done. it's, Sensitive. it's great. As of, as of our recording, <laughs> give me, give me. Um, we were only asking for a thousand dollars on this because this is kind of a, a small one, but we're already at over two thousand with like 23 or so days Some to odd go. Days to go. Yeah. And stretch goals, of course, you know, uh, on online. So if you had not been following the, the, the webcomic, the, the episodes of that, the pages of that as they had been going up online over the past several months, mm -hmm. you can get, you will get not only a print copy if you want to back for that, there is a PDF copy available and it will also have all, uh, hopefully, all of the typos and misspellings and all of the other stuff that kind of slipped through the initial work on it in in the new one so uh please uh if yeah. you can and you want to uh back that spread the word and share the love anyway um and uh s volume two chapter two uh just recently started back up uh on the website mm -hmm. as well so you can kind of go on with that anyway 
with all of this fantastic so question. So, so with all of this anniversary. Yeah, so in, second anniversary, question. Second question. We are trying to, I think, come up with ways to spread the word to, um, for lack of a better term, evangelize Earth Dawn, um, outside of the, um, wonderful and loyal fan base that we have built thus far. Um, we had more backers for the Empty Thrones Kickstarter than we had for any Kickstarter except the original fourth edition launch, which is great. That mm -hmm. shows that things are, are growing in a positive direction. But yes. we, we want to, there is still a situation where people are not aware that Earth Dawn is back, um, that, that we're releasing it, or maybe that it's even a game that, that exists. Um, and if there are any, anybody who has any ideas about how we might be able to spread the word uh, about Earth Dawn. Send those yeah. in as well. Obviously, we can't guarantee that we would be able to do everything for them, but that would be really, really We'll take cool. ideas. Yeah, we'll, we'll happily take ideas. Advertise. Yeah, advertise. Get the word out. Get new people involved. Get old people back mm -hmm. if they didn't even know 4th edition's a thing. Or, you know, begin to overtake our, the market share from everybody else we possibly can, because that's what we want to do. Well... And I say we, like I'm on the development team. I'm not. Josh is. So... <laughs> But dang it, I want world domination for Earth on. Anyway. It's all I've ever wanted. So, so, anyway, so those so ideas. So on to your questions. Yes. So yeah, if you have any ideas on either one of those. Send us an email. EDSGpodcast yeah, at gmail.com. If you have any other questions Absolutely. or suggestions or feedback that you want to throw our way, that is the address to use as well. We've got a bunch of emails that we're going to get to. Um, we had our first yes. where somebody emailed in and requested that had some questions, but requested that we not read it on the air. Um, because apparently they are questions related to their their game that they are running, and they don't want their players to to hear <laughs> our answers. So we will we'll uh, by the, the time this low. drops, we will um, I will have sent an email in reply to to try and address those. But that's fine. If you don't want us to read an email on the air, just mention so, and we will you know we will accommodate you. Yeah, we'll 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 we're honorable folk. We'll take care of you that way. So anyway, uh, onto the first one from Lee. Hi guys. I've recently started playing earth dawn and I'm currently running around with a windling archer. Cool. Enjoying listening to the series and some of the background lore has been quite a revelation to me. I'm playing the role of, from a viewpoint of being a soldier, a part of a unit, pretty much from the way that f one warrior can't form a very effective shield wall. So the melee players block enemy access to me. I rain down death and destruction from the rear. Archers compared to other classes really don't have options for weapons. As a windling, I have one weapon choice, which is really limiting. There aren't really options to encourage larger races to take the discipline. Troll archers uh, are badass. Badass. Yeah, they are. <clears throat> we anyway, because I'm playing but, alongside a troll archer. Yeah. So without going into custom weapon design system, how feasible are more ranged options doable? For example, for each plus three strength minimum, get a plus one base damage step and a plus 10 to short range, maybe? So without going into custom weapon design, what else yeah. can you do for the windling archers? So the thing that I would look into, especially if you're looking at, at a windling archer, is you want to invest in a thread bow. Like you want to get Fair. a you want to get a, a thread item that is a bow because that will just boost your your output. In fact, on the Earth on Developers blog, just this past weekend, as we record this, um, so mm -hmm. this would have been the blog that went up uh, for August seventh. Um, I actually posted a windling thread bow called Fang. <laughs> <laughs> Coincident that that was like this is an item that actually that I came up with a, a while ago, but it is a it is a windling bow 
specifically designed. The, the, the premise around it is that it, in addition to having some of the standard like damage and, and attack boosts that you often see with magical items, its kind of special ability, its theme is that as you progress in the ranks, you gain the ability to magically infuse arrows that you fire from it with various types of poison. So it starts off, the first one that you get is kind of a slightly weaker version of the Kisra sleeping potion, or sleeping poison. Mm-hmm. It gets a little bit stronger, and then you also get a um, a straight-up damaging poison and a deadly debilitating poison that at, at the higher ranks. Um, and so that is a, like, it's, it's, a, it's a bow that does that kind of stuff. So, but I would think for, for any archer, but a windling archer especially, because windlings are limited in their in their regular weapon selections as well for like melee mm-hmm. if you're talking about a warrior or a swordmaster or a cavalryman because of their size limitations there are only so many weapons that they really have to choose from and yeah you're right aside from the blowgun right the, yeah. basically the windling bow is is really the only other option that you've got and so you really want to look at and your game master should probably have available for you a threaded bow or items that will help enhance your uh, potential situation there yeah, because windlings are people too. Yeah, maybe a sling is my only other thought, but otherwise, I think to thread bow easiest yeah. way to get uh, you know. That taken I, I mean, there we talked about weapons a little bit in a in a past episode, and the limited like how granular, how much variety there actually is within the weapons, mm-hmm. um, just because yeah. of the limitations of sizes and damage steps and things like that. One of the other things that you might look into, and I cannot at all speak to um, how balanced and or broken they might be. I know there have been some fan projects out there um, that you can probably find online. Um, I know there was one uh, that like developed different types of arrows that you could fire from the bow to like change capabilities and add different stuff like that. Um, again, I have not really looked at it. I cannot speak at all to its suitability or potential uh, game-breaking sort of situation. But yeah, other than like really doing a massive overhaul on how weapons kind of work in general, it, it is a little bit unfortunate that windling archers in particular, but windling characters in general, don't have a whole lot of choices when it comes to their 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 weapon selection and so at yeah. that point even more than other disciplines tend to rely other races rather tend to rely more on thread items to kind of make up for that fair all right on to the second email we got and josh is going to get taken to task here by kagorsi oh, because kagorsi had I... to make an appearance <laughs> so this is what i get to do character voices yay me and I'm sorry, listeners, so far nobody's complained, so I'm going to keep doing it. Especially Kagorsi himself has not complained, so I'm going to keep doing it. Greetings again, friends. It is Kagorsi, and I am writing to this to thank you for your inspiring talk of all things Swordmaster. In it, we have discovered that Josh and I are 100% in complete agreement that orcs are most certainly the best Swordmasters. I congratulate Josh on his admission, though although I am sure it is hard for him to lend voice to it, as he is so fond of Tuscrang. Perhaps that is why his word choice danced around the acknowledgement. It is okay, Josh. We understand the meaning of your words by the manner in which you spoke them. While speaking of Josh and the words he has used, I must say that I have a bone to pick with him. He has called out the poor scribe Brandon for a lighthearted joke about some other fantasy system, and now I owe it to the scribe's honor to call Josh out for his treatment of some of the best swordmasters in all of Barsafe. If my memory serves me right, even in my advanced age, I do believe Josh said the following in this wonderful episode. Wooing the ladies. Two-handed sword guys. 
Big axe guys. Quarterstaff guys. While I do admit I have a few strong women that took a liking to the company of other women, it would appear that Josh is in need of some sensitivity training. I do believe a short apology is called for here. I know it was not intentional as he is a very big fan of Knave, but I would like to hear his response. I will also point out that a portrait of a very famous swordmaster appears in what you call the player's guide. That great swordmaster is both a woman and a very smart swordmaster as she wields a real two-handed weapon and not a silly pair of toothpicks. Also note, she has killed a named Great Dragon and is showing off her kill. I should also mention there is a portrait of the treasonous Tuscrang illusionist a few pages prior that has cast an illusion on the vanquished Great Dragon to make it appear as a mere Drake or Dragonling. Do not squirm too much, Josh. It is all in good fun. Until I find something interesting to say, I will take my leave. Always a fan, Kogorsi. That is fair. And <laughs> I absolutely realize that my tendency and the the shortcomings of the english language and the not truly gender neutral use of guy and dude and whatever <laughs> as you know as as a generic term no sword master ladies are phenomenal knave as i mentioned in that episode is awesome mm-hmm. whether one is partial to the 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 dudes or the ladies all are welcome and all are awesome and it it is a off the cuff shortcoming something that i am working on in terms of being better in the language and the words that i use when i am speaking and so it is absolutely fair and i appreciate the 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 call out <laughs> and the mention that i was being a little bit um too patriarchal uh too too typical in that since we just passed 10,000 uh, downloads, listens, whatever you want to call it, uh, 10,000 plays to this podcast over the course of our 40 episodes, including this one, we have checked the metrics and there's about a 4% listener base of our listeners that are female. Mm-hmm. We would love to hear from you by all means. Yes. Please let us know you're out there, what you like playing, what you're doing. We want to hear from you. That will remind us both to be more inclusive. Yeah. And we always want inclusion. Yeah, I mean, we've got, this. you know, it, it. we've got some great people that, that work on Earth on with us. Obviously, Andy Watson, uh, the project manager and the one who rides yes. herd on all of us crazy creatives trying to kind of make things sure that things keep flowing in the in the right direction. Uh, Monica, who has done uh, the maps for the past few Legends of Bar Save. Yeah, Legends of Bar Save Adventures. Um, for mm-hmm. us, uh, from, from the, the, the Polish fan contingent, um, stayed with her and her family when I was out there, um, a little over a year ago. And, uh, you know, again, spoke with her, uh, at the Order Calcum convention recently. She has done phenomenal work. We've had artists and, and whatnot. We've had some, some writers contributing to some of the books that were, that were women. We would absolutely love to see, love to see more of that. And, uh, absolutely. please accept my apologies for my, falling back into the rut of non-inclusiveness that sometimes happens. So, okay, we've pointed out through our discussion of the races, which we're going to get to obsidian here later on, that the Tisrang are matriarchal, mm-hmm. and the orcs are as evenly... Uh, there's no power dynamic as far right. as patriarchal or matriarchal in an orc society. They're all equal, so like that. Anyway, so yes, with the nature of inclusion in mind... Ladies, please, please, women, love to hear from you and love to ha- get more of you, by the way, not just listening, but playing. OK, yeah. we need to get. More well, I think plenty games. of them are playing. I mean, I've had like 
my my wife oh, yes. we met because of Earth Dawn. We had mm-hmm. um, a, a friend of ours who was in uh, a long term running game. Uh, had Leanne and Sarah were both long term players in the game. I think we had Rebecca for like. I mean, I have played Earth Dawn with yes, you know, loads and loads of 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 women over the years, both at my regular game table and at conventions. You know, I I know they play, but I also know that being online, like seeing what happens in broad, like in RPG space, like say on Twitter broadly, especially in in Dungeons and Dragons mm-hmm. portion of that, and the yeah poor treatment and abuse and crap that they have to put up with can certainly Agreed. make it very difficult or or uncomfortable for them to come forward and i Step think the forward. ones that do yes. and that speak out are great and i would like to We're see that be the case with with earth dawn yes oh absolutely. and and again more wonderful women who have worked on it anna um uh, aka double proficiency online um she has been doing the the layout for the legends of bar save um adventures for and the past few i think Jan- janet alicio has always been contributing art yeah, since the first edition. you know i mentioned so. artists um you know we had we were lucky enough to have her come back and do some stuff for the for the players and game masters guides but anyway yes that's just me memory checking that's not even me reading a book that's just me yeah. memory checking so brandon follows up uh he says got my group going finally we are a few sessions in already the missus is even having a good time playing her first tabletop rpg and that is in part to the both of you thank you josh and me dan uh a good game world uh, she is even asking to play more, so it worked out better than he had expected. I have liked the advice and discussions from the show, but now I have some questions from actual play I would like to run by you. Okay. The group consists of two casters, a troubadour, and a cursed warrior. He's rolled critical failures far, far too often and been a victim of exploding dice multiple times. So they ran into a problem where they wanted to fight a group of NPCs but not kill them. It seems to me that only melee can attack to stun. Is there anything a spellcaster can do in a situation like this? Not as written, unfortunately, but that is definitely something to for for me to take under consideration and Fair. actually maybe mention it to to Morgan. It may be something that he has thought about and come up with a reason why, but it might be a case where we might just be able to make some spells that specifically do that. I remember illusionists are the are the closest. Well, yeah, like a sleep type spell or um, illusionists with their illusory damage can't actually kill anybody. Um, mm-hmm. They still kind of actually do damage, but they can't. You can't kill anybody with it with an illusion yeah. spell. But yeah, yeah my wizard I, had it, it sleep is. And I just touched somebody. They fell right out. So that was I don't know if that spell got got ported back into fourth edition or not, but I remember that one specifically mm-hmm. working. I, I didn't sleep hear it. Right the. The sleep spell in the wizards. Yeah, uh, there is. It is not, spell as far work. as I'm aware, currently in the talent sol- or spell selection for wizards. I hadn't looked in a while. Uh, doesn't look like it. Oh no, it is. Okay. It's a six circle oh. wizard spell. Whoa! <laughs> That's one or more characters into a deep sleep. Okay. So yeah. So but yeah, I I can definitely. Um, see that as, uh, as an option, um, as something that, that might be worth exploring as like start doing some additional spells and, and whatnot. Um, I think rather than have it be an option that you can do like attacking to stun with weapons, there would mm-hmm. be specific spells that you would bring to bear to not kill people, to, to subdue or stun them or whatever. 
Fair. He did say his party did find success after emptying the good old karma pools, but just wanted to hear if there's anything we could add to that. And so Josh is good on that. The players are all happy with their discipline choices, so he doesn't want to change any of that for balance reasons. If there are problems in the future, I would rather just adjust that on his side of the game master screen. And I don't yeah. blame you at all. Let the players play. You alter your mode for them. On another note, <clears throat> I simplified a lot of the rules for dice rolls for the first half of our session, but to my surprise, Everyone was really quick to adjust to the normal normal rules, and they much preferred them. I'll add combat options and such soon, as they seem ready to, for most of it. Is it ever too early for thread items? As they scale with thread weaving, I think I might start giving them stuff as soon as they shouldn't be overpowering. So, is it ever too early? No, I, I don't think so. You know, in, in earlier editions, when most disciplines didn't get access to thread weaving until Fourth Circle... Uh, an argument could be made to hold off on providing thread items and, until they could actually do something with them. Um, although providing yeah. them a little bit early so that they could, you know, have maybe Research the first and key knowledge known when they get thread weaving and be able to use it right away is worthwhile. Absolutely. Yeah. But no, I don't think it's ever too early to introduce thread items to to the group, especially if they are becoming comfortable with the stuff that they've got as new players in their first circle or whatever, then um, introduce that stuff and um, start going from there. Yeah, I think even Harry Potter got the Cloak of Invisibility in what, the first book? I guess. So, I mean, something like that. It has been, it has <laughs> so, been yeah. a long time. It has been a long time since I've read them. Fair enough. I was referring to the movie. But anyway, that's just me. So, also wanted to say he enjoyed the Swordmaster episode a lot, but we forgot to mention his favorite Swordmaster in the movies. That would, of course, be Doc Holliday from Tombstone, taunt and impressive display at their finest. Yeah, God, Tombstone is a great movie and a fantastic. That is a movie. that is an absolute, <laughs> absolute phenomenal performance by Val Kilmer in that film. And the reason that it was not utterly quotable, that it didn't come to mind, I think, is because it's a Western. Yeah, and he uses guns, not swords. That's and he uses guns, so. yeah, because he uses guns, not swords. I mean, if you're going to go that route and say, okay, well, let's take um, another great um, like swordmaster inspiration character mm -hmm. that you can have from the westerns, um, Sam Raimi's The Quick and the Dead, very underrated film. Uh, Sharon Stone's <laughs> character in that, or at least you know, there's some characters in that that absolutely would oh, be yeah. considered swordmasters, but in the in the cowboy gunslinger, yes. No, good no, suggestion. Good suggestion, Brandon. Great flick. No, love it. Thank you, Brandon. You'll refrain on going on a, a rant about dual wield, even though the, he despises that legacy from D&D, &D, and we can't seem to get away from it in RPGs and movies. Uh, it would be selfish of him to get to, to get Josh to devote any time to it, as he realizes he's in the minority in being opposed to dual wield. But thanks for all the good advice and the discussions. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Brandon. Brandon has a follow-up email. <laughs> where he says, sent out an email yesterday. I just listened to this week's episode this morning. Just wanted to clarify that I hold no ill will towards other games like Pathfinder. He's in complete agreement with Josh and Corey on that matter. His humble apologies. When he says anything like that is merely in jest and things like that are hard to convey through text. He even intends on playing in his friend's Pathfinder game for what it's worth. And he just remembered that Kagorsi and he are renowned for having asses and mouths that are smarter than the rest of their bodies. <laughs> Thank you, Brandon. <laughs> No, I, I know it was Brandon's it was Brandon's email that prompted me to go on my pushback against other games. And I know that he you know, it was it was I, I can tell when somebody is is like gently Joking. poking fun as opposed to being a, a jerk about it. I have been. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I can tell. We're not, and we're I not in no, to it. No, we're, no, we're no hard feelings um, at all. Keep Brandon, coming, Brandon. Appreciate Keep that. Keep coming. 
Keep them coming. Yeah, the whole the whole dual wield thing. Um, I don't know that it's so much a legacy of D and D on the part of the Swordmaster as it is the the sort of iconic style of the rapier and dagger, rapier and mangosh style of, mm-hmm. of fencing duelist kind of thing that I think plays a Fair. lot of influence into the Swordmaster. It's just that because of the way that the action that action economies work in RPGs, dual wielding tends to be a common route for the combat system to be broken yeah i look at dual wielding like escrima sticks for filipino martial arts i've seen it in the perfect weapon i've seen it with steven seagal in one movie and even bruce lee did it once upon a time as well so i look at dual wielding as far as that's concerned but yeah two drist, sticks, not two swords yes. drist doerden has a lot to answer for <laughs> <laughs> and we will leave it right there we will leave it there. Um, people people who know what i mean know what i mean from, and we'll go on from there oh yeah we we do and we'll let that one lie we're good there. Follow up from Lee, I believe, uh, unless it's a different Lee, which is entirely possible, but who knows? Hi, guys. Still enjoying the show. Well, good, because we're still going to produce it, so thank you. And slowly catching up to more current releases. I have a couple of questions this time. Question one. He listened to the Archer discussion and have read the text in the Player's Guide, but I'm still a little unsure how True Shot is intended to work. Ugh, this is his understanding of it. Please correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't want to break the game for the rest of the group. I have True Shot at rank seven. I have to declare before making my attack roll, I'm using true shot number, where number is the one through seven points of karma I'm spending on the missile weapon test. Correct. Okay. So if he declares true shot using four points of karma, does he add all four dice to the dice pool in one go? Yes. Four dice in this example. And can he still add one karma die as normal to the melee weapons test for a total of five missile weapons test for a total of five dice? So to the first part where, yes, if he says he's going to do true shot at re- to do four points of karma, all of that gets rolled on the initial attack test. Okay. I believe, let me just flip in my book here real quickly to check the exact wording. I know what my gut says. But there's a reason we write these things down. <laughs> so we can all have the same rule to play by. Uh, yes, you can then you can then spend the normal karma point that you would be able to for the the missile weapons just the talent so, boost yeah just the talent boost for for just like because it is a talent you can spend a karma on it normally the true shot then is yeah. additional karma above and beyond that so if you have true shot yes. at rank one that allows you to then spend two karma mm-hmm. on your missile weapons one from it being a talent the second from the true shot talent so if you exactly. if you have it at rank seven and you decide you're going to spend four on the initial test and you can spend a fifth one because it's a talent so you could roll five additional d6 on your attack so yes, you yeah. are basically okay. you are correct with everything thus far. Okay. If he misses somehow on that test, yes. I can then add plus one karma die one at a time until I do hit up to the other three limits, because it's only a maximum of seven. Yes. Okay. So so far, Lee, everything you've asked, yes. You're right on you're spot on with your understanding of how true shot works for archers. Okay, question two stopping aim. If I have stopping aim rank four, I can force one person to remain in place for four turns. Does this prevent them casting spells or using missile weapons? No, because it stops movement. It so it so does not on the ground. It does not. Yeah, it stops movement, but it does not prevent them from doing stuff that does not require them to move. So they could conceivably still cast a spell, or if they happened to be. 
you know, and if, I mean, obviously if they were attacked by somebody else, then the stopping aim breaks because that's the, like, that's in the rules for it there. But no, yeah, it, 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 my reading of it is that it just prevents movement. So it would not prevent a magician from not casting a spell, but it would lock them down very nicely, perhaps for a spell, for a um, sword master or warrior or somebody to close and start beating on them. Totally. My personal question, this is Dan, not Lee, would that drop windlings out of the sky or just make them hover in place? I would probably <laughs> make them hover in place because having that I be a something where you force them to fall and take damage seems a little dickish. bit, a little bit bad. Yeah, I'm going to go with that. So I uh, hover in place. Just want to clarify that. Okay. During those four turns of stopping aim, can I target other people to prevent them moving as well? And is the previous victim still held in place if I do? No. No, Asked because, yeah, because the, well, because <laughs> keeping aim and keeping someone locked down requires you to concentrate and you can't take any standard actions while doing so. Stopping aim itself is a standard action. And so yeah. if you take a standard action to block somebody else down, that'll remove it from the first target. So, so as far as I can tell right now, stopping aim is a single target effect only. That is correct. Okay. Yeah. Clarify as, that as, well. as, as written as the talent, that is correct. Cool. So. If I hold concentration on a single target for more than four turns, when does their four turns of of immobility begin? When I initially target them or when I release my concentration on on them on turn five or more? I hate timing questions. (laughs) Fair. It's the it's the same sort of situation that we ran into when we were trying to figure out, like, how long do the penalties from spells last? Like, if they've got a duration of X rounds, because people's relative position in the initiative order can can change. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. you know, if if to to do an example, let's say that the that the this like a sword master acts first in a round and then a magician goes and casts a spell that provides a, a penalty to the swordmaster and then the next round just because of the dice the magician goes first does the spell expire when the magician's turn is up or does it last that's why in a lot of cases it's the spell's description say until the end of the next round or whatever so that you are guaranteed Fair. to get at least one round of use out of the out of the mm-hmm. ability yeah i would be inclined to say that it would lock the target down for four of their actions using the number in the example. That's probably Fair. the way that that I would handle it. Okay. The rules on the timing on that are not clear. And I just know that it is annoying to do something and then because of the vagaries of initiative roles end up not really getting any benefit from it. Mm-hmm. So I would be inclined to have you need to spend four of your actions concentrating and the target is affected by that for four of their actions unless things seem really really weird just because of the way that that initiative rolls end up yeah i'd go along with that like i you know i i i like (laughs) the way that fifth edition dungeons and dragons has the one initiative roll at the beginning of combat and it just cycles through everybody every round so that Mm -hmm everybody's like everybody gets a turn before you get your next turn kind of thing. Yeah. And people often ask about, well, what if we just have fixed initial, like we do one initiative roll and everybody then gets the same initiative and you cycle through problem with that in earth dawn is that you've got talents like air dance and tiger spring 
and things like that, that you need to figure out how those interact with that new initiative paradigm. And I have not put any effort into figuring that out. (laughs) So until that changes, we'll go with this. So Josh, switch gears to group pattern threads real quick. Yeah. So on an unrelated note in more recent podcast, smile. Does this mean group members can gain a plus one to five bonus to damage, adding talents like critical hit or crushing blow for group thread patterns? Yes. See? Had a feeling that was easy. Cool. Yep. Thank you, Lee. Hopefully that answered it because you were right on everything, Lee. So the way you interpreted stopping aim. True shot. True shot. You were running. You were absolutely. You had the right ideas, man. All as well. So last email from uh, Benito. So hello, Dan and Josh. The EDSG is my favorite podcast. I used to have a long commute and now it plays in the background when I'm drawing or working outside. Congratulations, Josh. You and I have reached background status. <laughs> <laughs> Love the banter, the Earth on system insight, explanation of the rules, setting, etc. For many years, I've been in a quest to find a good Earth on podcast, the greatest fantasy game I've never played, more later, and you guys deliver. Thank you. Benito. Thank you. We try to. Uh, I have listened to many episodes multiple times. Wow, you are bored. Just kidding. Well, that's started why we've got 10,000 listens. Exactly. Started with, we started with episode 21, so you missed the first 20 where we built up to all of that stuff. Uh, Warriors, and was hooked at Make Your Opponent Dead, Hack, Slash, Kill, and Pillage. My whole song that came from a friend of mine. Uh, the Hour of Rambling did hold back the cabin fever and madness of COVID world. Yay, muchas gracias. I have a deep love of Earth Dawn from the first time I saw Jeff Laubenstein and Janet Alicio's art in the first edition core books and read Inheritance. Poor messed off. Never truly liked the Shadowrun ties, so always treated like in an alternate dimension. The setting is so rich, although the rules became a barrier. Fourth edition cleared my hesitancy, and listening to the podcast has given me confidence to run a campaign for my family and friends. Yay! Again, thank you, Dan and Josh. Awesome. Mostly Josh and the, and the development team. They did the work. I'm just trying to you know sell it. A couple of questions. Is there a way that the talent would skin? could provide a small unarmed damage advantage to warriors. I get it, game balance, etc., but the muscles and sinews do toughen up and create a, in my words, not not Benito's, uh, a more formidable object to hit with. Like a, I would look at that potentially being a knack. I agree. I was that, just that you would that. that you would develop. I don't know. Like basically, it's okay. You want to do something that kind of makes sense based on what Woodskin does, but isn't really actually covered by it as a talent. Yeah. Because it's a it's a durability slash survivability talent and is not is more defensive in nature rather than offensive. If you want to shift it to be offensive, I have no ideas or suggestions about how you might do that. But that's where I would like that's the space that I would go into. The other thing like yeah, I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to speculate because I would be here forever. No, fair. But I would but call that it like, like a is it possible? Yeah, in theory, it would be something that would be developed as a knack. Um, might even be yeah. something that would be developed as a sort of proprietary knack only available to a, a certain path. Like if you sort of yeah. maybe were developing like an elemental warrior type path um, that that did some different and funky stuff with their elementally themed talents. Yeah. Or something along totally. those lines. At that point, you're looking at like the flavor and the reason for it existing. But yeah, it can, I could I could theoretically conceive of something like that, but I have no idea yeah. off the top of my head how I might handle the mechanics. Because you would no, need that's... to trade off some of the durability of Woodskin, some of the durability that it provides in exchange for the physical, the offensive capability that you would gain from it. Like that's the 
that's where you would need to go and you would need to figure out a good trade-off and how to determine what to what to do with that. I mean, my other instinct is to say, hey, if you haven't yet, get Mystic Paths and look at the gauntlet. I was just looking at the gauntlet <laughs> saying, do they get uh, wood skin? And because uh, it's been a while since I've looked at them. Yeah, but the gauntlet, um, but wouldn't, the gauntlet the wouldn't need to have an offensive capability thing for wood oh, skin yeah. because they've got – They get the option – yeah, it as a as a novice option, Woodskin. but but they wouldn't need to because they get plenty of other things that allow them to Offensive. boost their to boost their damage. Yeah, so yeah, I, I, I could the idea. Cons- yeah, it's 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 an interesting idea. Go to the forums or to the Facet Games Discord <laughs> and say, hey, here's an idea that I had. Um, what do people think? And see what yeah. other people think. See what kind of responses you get. You've heard ours. Uh, what would you think is the most Earth Dawn movie out there? Who would you cast if you could make one? And what story? Uh, oh, boy. The most Earthon movie I've seen, honestly enough, is Aragon, where I looked at it and said, oh, somebody played Earthon. <laughs> I have not. <laughs> I have not either read the book or seen the movie. I have not heard great things about the movie. Um, I no, haven't, to be honest, heard stuff. great things about the book. But I mean, that's fine. I no no opinion, no shade thrown on my part at all. It, it's just not something that I that I ever got to. Oh, boy. I don't have anything that immediately comes to mind in terms of like the most Earth Dawn movie. I think if I were to cast, if I if I were to see an Earth Dawn movie be made, like in my ideal world, mm-hmm. he says, glancing backwards at his shelf. Yeah, of Earth Dawn stuff. I would probably most want to see a movie version of Lost Care by Nigel Findlay. I was going to go with a movie version of Talisman, just because it's five interconnected stories. That, yeah, that would really. We'll explain see. So we're so we're so we're we're, we're like okay. So we've got okay. If we're looking at a standalone movie, I'd probably go with Lost Care. Fair. If I were to like, if if Netflix were to come with a big sack of money, episodic, and yes. and to do more, or Amazon Prime, or somebody to do a more episodic like short series. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I think DreamWorks, if you're listening. <laughs> you've done really well with Shira. Um, you've done really well with Dragon Prince. You've done really well with um, Kipo, and oh, oh yeah. there it is, Kipo and the and the 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 Age of Wonder Beasts. Okay, there you go. It, that that like I get, I mean it's got sort of like the Fallout vibe, and it's mm-hmm. and it's kind of like strange fantasy kind of things with a lot of like weird creatures and and mysterious stuff that has happened and someone who was living underground and goes to the surface and doesn't know anything about what's going on there is that kind of very definite earth on vibe yeah and the main character kipo actually has magic powers sort of mm-hmm. so it's it's not Ish. like very fantasy earth on but it does definitely have a, an earth on vibe but anyway an animated series of earth on to, to like I'm be available for voice talent yeah like <laughs> Like DreamWorks, if you're if you're listening, um, like I know lots of people are looking for like properties that they can um, leverage Develop. into possibly being a a series or whatnot. I am happy to. Uh, I'm I'm sure that we would love to uh, take money to license it, and I would be happy to consult on uh, developing uh, a story. But if you're looking at an animated, like at a series, at an episodic sort of thing, um, I would actually like to see something more uh, original created. Yes. Yes. Or, you know, something along those lines. I don't know. Fair. And casting 
once you figure out what medium it is, what the story is, casting happens after that. Because look at the number of Oscar winners. Look, if we're talking, okay, so, so if, in the Marvel movies, for Pete's sake, so you can get anybody you want. If, if I, you yeah, if, if I, if, if I could get anybody that I wanted, like if we're talking animated, Rob Paulson, uh, Maurice LaMarche. Oh, totally. Laura Bailey, Ashley Johnson. Like there are a lot of like video game voice actors and stuff that I'd like to see do that as well um no that, like anyway if josh executive producing i'm voice i would not be in the story uh, i will voice act <laughs> i got skills. I, I would anyway. not be i would not be so last question from uh, last two questions from him so thank you but you know uh is the Ghostmaster ritual available for fourth edition yes if not why was it removed yeah so it's available okay it is available it is not listed as a talent under the talents i'm flipping here right now Pretty sure it's in the player's guide in the, the building your legend chapter. Oh, maybe it's in the companion. Yeah, no, it, it is available. Um, I think it was not included in the player's guide for space reasons, but no, it is, it is something that's available. Uh, Ghostmaster ritual. Yeah. It's in the companion page 113. Cool. So oh, it's still there. Just yeah, get the companion. It is, if you it don't is have still it there. It is a, it is available now as a knack off of thread weaving and requires you to be, uh, have rank five thread weaving. So basically be a fifth circle character, um, before you can use it. Uh, yeah, the rules for, for all of that are in the, are in the companion. Cool. Cause it's, yeah, it's in the companion under alternate training methods, which includes not only Ghostmasters, but also the, the, the Oracalcum coin training pledge. Neither of which were cool. in the player's guide, mainly for space reasons, but they're in the companion because they typically are required when you start dealing with higher circle characters absolutely and we'll get to nax eventually so hang on there so but you know, last one uh he did actually include some art for josh and myself to take a look at which is very cool stuff yes i really enjoyed um that. i will awesome. um download those and um when i post the link when i post the link up on this episode on the the podcast, podcast twitter feed i will mm-hmm. put his i well i art. will i will write him back and say is it okay if i I don't remember whether Post he mentioned that. it in email, if it's okay if we if we share the, the cool art. Yeah, because we've got a week or so between when you're hearing this, when we're yeah. recording this, and when we're actually going to present it. So we got some time. So otherwise, Benito, we love your art. We'll see if we can share it. So um, say yes, and people will see your stuff. Otherwise, last question. Are the Tuscrang dragon-related, created, or sired? Depends on who you ask. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the true answer to that is unknown. Um, the Tuscrang in Barsave have legends that have them as, you know, that we've got the, the dragon of the river and the dragon of like Tishlome and the, the dragon of the sun and things like that. And House Sirtis, I think, has a story that they are descended from dragons and, and whatnot. That is certainly a possible interpretation. It has not been definitively answered in any way. And I don't know that we will. My Tuskrang is related to a dragon, but that's my character. So at least I want him to be. He, he, he aspires to be. So we go with that. So uh, I don't think I actually hit my uh, my little knack on the beginning of the episode. So now it's time to all things biogeological. And we can talk about Obsidian. Yeah. Obsidian. One of my absolute favorite, if not my favorite race in all of Earth Dawn. They are certainly unique. And that was my point to start off with is I played Shadowrun to begin with. And they had the you know five races. Dwarves, humans, orcs, elves, and trolls. And so when I picked up Earth Dawn, I saw those exact same five, but the three new ones really caught my eye. Mm. Windlings, Tuscrang, yep. and Obsidian. And two of those are my favorites, the Tuscrang and the Obsidian. I have more Obsidian characters than I do 
to Scrang characters, which is saying something for me because I love to Scrang. But Obsidian fill that role since we talked about gender inclusion earlier with asking all of our female listeners to write in. Obsidian hit that unique bent where they're genderless, essentially. Biologically speaking. Yes. Because they, they don't reproduce sexually. So so it is now so it is now time for the obligatory mention. <laughs> Obsidian are great. <laughs> <laughs> they're more than great. They're great. They're no, and, are and, awesome. Yes. And it's not a it's it's meant to be a gender neutral term. It is, but they just refer to themselves as obsidian men for no other reason than it's just the nature of the word, more right. or less. So there's somewhere between playing a golem and playing an earth spirit that's walking around because they are imbued with the astral sense of the planet Gaia itself, in right. my view. So they're birthed from the side of a mountain or inside a cave or something along those lines. And it is the physical representation of the Earth's will on this planet. That's how I view my obsidian. Yeah, that is so. that is a that is definitely a, a good way to approach it. And because they do not reproduce biologically, they, yes. depending on your character, if you're playing an obsidian, could be completely uninterested. They could be fascinating, Captain. Fascinated by it <laughs> in 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 that you know kind of way, but to like spread the inclusion flag to to wave mm-hmm. it proudly and and wildly, just because obsidian men do not have a biological reproductive system system right that 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 yeah. That does not mean that there are, I mean, there are examples in Earthdawn of obsidian men who identify or present mm-hmm. as male or yep. female, mm-hmm. or, you know, you could go gender neutral. You could go absolutely uh, sort of bi um, or gender fluid. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there is like, there, there's a lot of opportunity there to, to explore um, and look at that. And you could always, and you can always present that within the framework of the obsidian man curiosity and interest in the ways of other name givers to be exploring that on their own. Yeah. And much like I talked about the, the to Scrang and like romantic relationships that they might form with other name givers, even though they can't necessarily biologically reproduce, there is nothing I would think that would prohibit an obsidian man from forming romantic relationships um, with with other name givers, I think in yeah. the the case of an obsidian man, you know, depending on how deeply you're going to be playing the the relationship with their life rock and the others that are born from it, that is a kind of deep spiritual connection that might make it very difficult to have a a romantic relationship in the sort of traditional sense that we think. But that is something that that could possibly exist as well. Yeah. So, so, you know, again, obsidian men are not born physically, biologically speaking with biological sex, but that does not mean that there is not plenty of space to explore, um, gender presentation and gender roles and all that sort of thing within the space of the obsidian man. Absolutely. And so this was way ahead of its time back in 1993. Yeah. Um, (laughs) you know, I, I, I don't think that absolutely. I think that the aware, you know, I don't know how much of the awareness of such things was like, I don't, 
I don't think they intentionally wrote that into yeah. the presentation of Sidman, but I think it is fine yeah. for you to interpret that now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think that the that the development of the Obsidian culture and biology and all of that was as a result of this is something that's a little bit different. Like yes. what like kind of taking some initial starting points and assumptions and kind of spinning out from there and and going on that you know but that doesn't mean that we can't take that and say hey this is actually like in its own way really cool and potentially inclusive and whatnot yes my favorite quote because i went through the denizens of earth on volume two again just to go over the obsidian before we got to this podcast and my absolute favorite thing uh, not absolute one of my favorite things in there is that the Nature of Obsidian is to learn all things and try to discover the nature of the universe. Do you have any other questions? That's it. It's – tell me about Obsidian. That's us. That's what they want to do. Learn everything they can. Yeah. I, they you include know, it, everybody. It, it's, they don't hate any other races. They're welcoming of every single other race in the entire game because they just want to study and learn and appreciate everyone. And that's a really cool thing. <laughs> they don't have any bias toward – any other name givers or creatures. And so I found that just one of those, they're the most accepting of the races in all of Earth Dawn. Yeah, they can be. Yeah. So, and that's on a generality because of course, anybody can be corrupted or play the characters as you want to. But so let's go biologically real quick because we've been asked in the past about um, certain other bodily functions of obsidian. So let's just go through a couple things. They have blue blood, not red. They do eat, they do breathe, but not as much food as you think. They really don't like to eat animal meat much at all. They're mostly vegetarians, so they appreciate and eat things from the earth itself. Yeah. So anything that's grown, and their skin color varies like stone. So granite, marble, jade, you know, redstone, limestone, all of, all those fun things. But they really do have a an appreciation for, they're proud of, any cinnamon is proud usually if they have an elongated head. Mm-hmm. And I looked this up. In human culture, over the past thousands of years, cranial deformation is actually a thing, and they can simulate that on human beings. Uh, the Vanuatu, the Macrocephali, as reported by Hippocrates, the Huns and the Elans, and the Kushan Empire all did this practice of elongating the skulls of human beings from uh, from young age all the way through their maturation. And so... If you want an example of what that kind of looks like, A, mostly arts in the book on the, um, the obsidian, but B, you can go find some archaeological pictures somewhere online for any of those. And that's just kind of something cool to, to look at for the artwork as well as they appreciate an elongated skull. Yeah. Obsidian so. are, are large. Yeah. I mean, aside what? from the, the, the whole discussion <laughs> that we had about, about gender – Yes. They they otherwise for the most part have the same needs as any other living thing. They breathe, they mm-hmm. sleep, they they eat, they they can excrete, drown because they, they can't can drown because they can't Well, you know, when you're a half ton <laughs> rock dude or rock lady uh or yes. rock, you know, presenting whatever, that you know, swimming is not something that you are capable of doing. No. Nope. You do sink. Nope. No, you sink. Like the Titanic, and your theme song really should be written by the Rolling Stones. I'm just, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Very, you know, they are, they are not as tall as trolls. They, they do tend towards the the seven to seven and a half foot height on mm-hmm. average. 
Um, but yeah. they tend to weigh, like I said, about half a ton, which means yeah. that they are very dense and tend to appear very like sort of blocky and squat. And for lack mm-hmm. of a better term, they're they're bricks. Yes. To, to use the, the comic book legs. term. <laughs> you know, they're 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 the brick um, strong guy from from X Factor. Absolutely. The, the mutants is would be a, an Obsidian type mm-hmm. uh, build, although he's a little bit more extreme depending on the artist that's depicting drawing it. it. Yeah, but you Pretty know, much. very Hulk, very very sort of yeah Hulk like in terms of of just a lot of of physical the mass thing. and bulk. The yeah, the, well, there you go, Fantastic there you go, form. Ben Grimm. <laughs> Yeah, something like that. The other interesting thing about the Obsidian and, and all the art, of course, is very consistent uh, in all the books. They don't have an iris or a pupil to their eye. So, you know, a pupil or a white, actually. So they, all they have is the, the color of the eye is the same color right. uniformly throughout. Yep. So you really can't quite tell where they're looking. Yeah. <laughs> this is always fun to play. But the view from Obsidian toward... Their role in the universe is, and this is the quote I got, the view of the name giver's place in the universe is less grand than many people choose to believe. But the Obsidian are not fatalistic. They just know that they are one tiny infinitesimal speck among the grand dance of the universe. And so they know what their place is when they show up. And they do show up fully formed. They don't have an infantile stage. They never change size. So they emerge on this earth that size and they will die that size. Right. And that's pretty much it. You know, so, barring barring disaster that, you know, removes a limb or something along those amputation. lines. Amputation. Yeah. Things like that. But the other aspect I love about Obsidian is that they are calm and they proceed in a nine times out of 10, very rational manner. They just kind of absorb all the information and then when it's time to take action, they can be as swift as anybody else. They just are more contemplative and good-natured and unassuming than anybody else. And so it it, it ascribes to me a different role-playing aspect to my characters that I play. Yeah. So I get to talk a lot less, listen a lot more. Personality-wise, I'm thinking of, um, (laughs) what's his name? The Goa'uld from Stargate SG-1, the one who was part of the team. If you ever watched that show. Yeah. Didn't, didn't watch. Okay. (laughs) People who have watched it will know that I'm talking about played by, um, Christopher Priest, I think was the actor's name, but the, the Goa Wold were, so have you seen start the Stargate movie? Yes. Okay. So the Goa Wold were the, like the, the servants that had the, um, the, the headdresses, the headdresses on. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in the series, they get expanded a little bit more. They're basically a slave race of the, of the masters. Mm -hmm. And, the Stargate SG-1 team has a Goa'uld that is basically a member of the team. And he is yeah. a very, like, sort of almost, like, I don't want to say Spock-like, but that's a very similar kind of, like, very sort of rational and calm and thoughtful mm-hmm. approach to things. But when yeah. they, when their emotions get roused, they can be very... Yeah, I find it more of an internal character for me to play. And so it's it's easier to play. We're in the world of online role playing at the moment. It's easier for me to to do that. But in person, all around the table, I am conscious of what I'm doing, playing an obsidian character. And so I I purposefully talk less. I purposefully don't proffer anything until I'm asked. Yeah. And I purposefully just here's the answer, and there you are because I've already thought about it. So that's the thing that, like I said, they're usually even tempered, not very quick to anger, and uh, unless. 
because there's a trigger, kind of like a gahad for obsidian. Yeah. Do not destroy nature and especially trees. Trees are sacred to obsidian because they are the one of the few things that's actually born of two elements to them. It's planted in the earth and it exists in the, uh, can catch the wind. And so it's, it's, it's half air and half earth. So really trees, they are the ultimate tree huggers. Just going to say that right now. Well, it's, it's um, not, it's not any surprise that the, that the purifier, um, originally yes. an obsidian only discipline. Um, mm-hmm. but then sort of the path, which is still very cleanse and, and restore nature from the, from the corruption of the horrors, um, is very, tends to be very obsidian centric because of that, uh, philosophical Bent. approach that they have. Yeah. My first character was an obsidian weaponsmith and I finally got to fourth circle. I was going to start uh, dual discipline as a purifier. So yes, right along, right along with you. Since they are not reproducing sexually speaking and not procreating that way, because they don't actually have anything to do with children, they are born from a life rock. Yes. And that is usually a mountain that is the center of the energy for the, the obsidian and his brotherhood because there's more than one usually birthed from that life rock, maybe not at the same time, but all obsidian that are born from that life rock in the surrounding area are all of the same brotherhood. Right. So it's kind of like a nation state, I guess you could call it. And there are always two elders. So there's a duality there. The life rock contains a living earth elemental spirit, which is what actually makes them emerge the times that they do. So like I said, the earth itself is probably you know, feeding the world, the obsidian as it needs to happen. And the life rock is named. So therefore it has a true pattern, Mm -hmm. but you probably will never hear an obsidian tell you what the actual, what the true name is of the life rock, because that would give you power Power over it. Yes. Yeah. We're not going to do that, but there are three stages to birthing an obsidian emergence, awakening, and the dreaming emergence is of course, when they actually are coming out of the mountain, which could take up to a month to happen. And the elders always know when that's going to happen. It's never a surprise. So they always kind of the life rock tells them. Uh, migrate over there to receive the emergent one. And then there's the awakening, which takes a hundred years or so to actually feed all of the information about the obsidian to themselves. So it's everything about nature and language and history and so forth. Everything that that, that obsidian needs to know is during the awakening. And then of course there's the dreaming, which they can come into and out of if they meet other obsidian and so forth. And that's the, the occasional communing back with the life rock itself. So right. it's the transcendental meditation per se, I guess you could call it. So obsidian do not like to leave the earth. They don't like to be on airships. I always yep. attributed that to like B.A. Baracus from the A-Team. <laughs> don't get me on the plane. I'm not getting on the plane. You have to yeah, drug me, it's, drag it's, me. It's, it's less a sort of fear of flying the way that it was with, with B.A. and more of yeah. an obsidian that is not in contact with the Earth will perhaps have feel a, a lack of connection to, to things. Yeah, which Maybe is what, of part of the reason, part of the reason why in early editions, uh, Obsidian could not be air sailors or sky raiders. And I still yeah. am strongly of the belief that those combinations should be, ex- should be to. rare. Yes. Because of course, everybody wants to go and make a, an Obsidian air sailor because that juxtaposition is kind of funny. Mm-hmm. And, and it is, um, but it stops being funny when you've seen it half a dozen times. True. 
So like just because you can. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's yeah. the anyway. No, that that's my character. Any any absurd character I had that needed to get on an airship, I had to buy ground boots first. Yeah. Just so I could feel that connection and go, I'll be OK. And I always played them a little bit off. Anyway, I always took down my steps like one or two on purpose just because I'm not myself on this airship. I don't feel correct. I don't feel right. But a couple of character role-playing notes, Obsidian deeply are uh, connected to their life rock, almost like some people are to either their religion or their home country. And so they feel a deep, deep, deep connection there. And so they will carry a stone called a life stone to maintain that connection. And it's just as bad if they lose that stone as it is losing your favorite weapon, your thread item, your clothes, or a limb for Mm -hmm. them. And they have, like I said, the absolute respect of trees uh, because they are sacred. So if they meet another obsidian, where those two obsidian meet, somewhere nearby, one or both of them will plant a tree in honor of that meeting. So again, the ultimate tree huggers. And otherwise they... Obsidian, when they meet each other, will share spring water, but they will almost never share that with another name giver unless that bond is incredibly deep and long lasting. Because to them, that is the purest of pure drinks ever. They'll share with you a beer, some wine, some ale, some tea, doesn't matter. Milk, whatever. Spring water, nope, obsidian only. So those are just, like I said, they're one of the more fascinating roles to play. I find them more internally role-playing than I do externally, but... What are those things? No, they're so they're I, they are awesome. fascinating. And if you're looking for a, a challenge when it comes to role playing and exploring a character, Obsidian have I think any other name giver race beat in that regard. I agree because in in some respects they are so alien to mm-hmm. to our expectations. Like Windlings into Scrang are exotic. Obsidian are alien. In, yeah, in in okay. some regards, I mean, they're still they're still living beings. They still have some of those touchstones, but but their long life, their deliberate li- deliberateness, yeah, their their deliberate <laughs> attitude, <laughs> their their size. While they don't share the 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 raw physical size of a troll, for example, mm-hmm. they you know, they have the mass, like double the mass of a troll. And so mm-hmm. everything that I said in the past episode about trolls and how the world is not really made for them for the most part goes, goes equally so or doubly so for obsidian. Um Because yes. while obsidian don't necessarily have the physical size, that that bulk and that weight can make it really uncomfortable. Like uh, obsidian probably don't like getting rooms on the second floor of an inn Agreed. because of the possibility that they could um, put too much stress on the, um, on the structure and, and cause it damage. We've had many an adventure where we couldn't rent a horse for obsidian because it couldn't carry them. So we had yeah. to actually get two horses and a cart in the, yep, that, that is the, the most, yeah, that is the most common um, transport method for obsidian is to get a cart with uh with a couple of of horses or mules or oxen to to pull it yeah because you need to get into like thundra beasts and things like that before you have a mount that is yeah that is potentially able to carry their Mm -hmm. you know or or an elephant or something like that and that again two big fans of river boats yeah no no, well (laughs) water water bad They don't want to go over. Airship airship's bad, river river boats bad, mounts bad. Yes. You know, like just 
there there's there are many obstacles that need to be taken into account with obsidian but the rewards that you can get as far as playing one and the explorations and stuff are just amazing agreed because aside from their the other brothers that are birthed from the life rock itself they will create to josh's point they will create those bonds and having a romantic entanglement is, is a separate thing entirely if you want to explore that route but Obsidian are the living embodiment of family of choice. They will, because they really don't have brothers and sisters, no siblings, no parents, no aunts, uncles, or cousins. If they at choose to hang around you- not in the way that we you, understand them, yeah. Or, yeah, at least not the way we understand them. If they choose to hang around you and be with you for a long period of your character's lifetime or your, your friend's character's lifetimes, whatever those are, that is their family of choice. They will call you brother to a degree that they can- but their true brotherhood is with anybody else birthed from that same life rock. But you're just one step below that. Right. So, yeah. So they are the living embodiment of family of choice. Which is a great idea. I, I absolutely ties. love that that theme and, and love seeing it show up. Anyway, stats. Stats. We've gone long. <laughs> well, stats yeah, we had a lot of email. We're going a little bit long this week. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. We'll shorten something else up. So... Obsidian men have, aside from windlings, like the biggest variety when it comes to to their stat choices. Um, yeah. They get a, a minus two dexterity penalty, which can cause problems for uh, any obsidian men who want to pursue a more martial discipline. Um, mm -hmm. Warrior, uh, swordmaster, a lot less common because a swordmaster relies a lot more on finesse as opposed to strength and and endurance. So obsidian warrior, obsidian tend toward warrior more than they do swordmaster, mm -hmm. um, especially where the warrior gets more talents that allow them to boost their initiative to overcome that that dexterity penalty. They get a a starting strength in fourth edition of eighteen, <laughs> which is sneeze at. which is a full step higher than trolls who are second at fourteen. Obsidian have ridiculously high strengths which is again why they are sort of so well suited toward warrior the physical as, as it comes yeah. to a discipline uh, an obsidian man spellcaster can be knock you flat so yeah uh, <laughs> they're you know, formidable can, right can can be very formidable because at that point like you don't need to put any points into strength mainly not even putting points into into dexterity uh, obsidian men have a, have a base 13 toughness, which is a full step above sort of the, the human baseline. And in addition to that, they have the racial ability of plus three to their wound threshold. So they've already mm -hmm. got a higher toughness to begin with. Plus, it's even harder to wound them. Yep. So so they they are very durable, um, which is a great thing to have for any discipline, whether you're going to be a, a fighter type or a spellcaster or a, or a support class or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's great for that. Perception of nine, willpower of 10, you know, a slight negative to their perception, um, the same way that you have with a troll, which makes it slightly more difficult to be a spellcaster with them, but not painfully so. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. willpower of 10 is, is, you know, right in the baseline average. Um, yeah. so there's no problems there. And a charisma of nine, um, again, a very small penalty. Uh, it's the same as, as what you have with an orc. In the case of the Obsidian, that probably represents the fact that they, do not have the same kind of cultural upbringing and indoctrination that you would have with other name givers in terms of a childhood and being able to understand society. 
and yeah. would play a little bit into their traditional presentation as being a little bit more naive. trusting and guileless, mm-hmm. you know, in, in that regard. Naive. But I mean, Omasu is a troubadour. Mm-hmm. Obsidian troubadours yeah. are are pretty cool and yes, nice. Uh, their movement rate is only ten because they are big and slow. Uh, their karma when modif- they get going when when they momentum. get going it is, it is <laughs> that momentum. Their karma modifier is three, so they don't have much in the way of karma yeah. to, to overcome that. They've also got some other restrictions that kind of come into play when it comes to their racial abilities. Um, we mentioned the, the wound threshold increase. Um, they mm-hmm. are limited in what they can wear for armor. Yes. Um, they will not wear um, anything except living armors, which are – those are noted in the yeah. um, in the Blood rules pebble, as appropriate. living crystal, Blood, uh, fern, fern weave. weave. They do make up for it with a – uh, natural armor of three. Um, yes. so it is, you know, not uncommon for an obsidian man to basically head toward blood pebble. Like they might not start off with any armor to begin mm-hmm. with. Um, and instead get a big shield to boost their physical defense. Um, and yep. then like start saving up to get blood pebble because their natural armor does stack with whatever armor they get. So, you know, a, a, so you like blood the, pebble and natural armor of three, you get like an eight. Which yeah, you've got physical badass. armor of eight and a mystic armor of three on top of whatever other mystic armor you might already have. Um, and yeah. then, you know, the, the changes to um, shields providing physical defense bonuses instead of physical armor um, have mm-hmm. really helped. One of the weaknesses in early editions of Obsidian was because they had that sort of lower dexterity to start off with. Yeah. And the way that armor defeating hits worked in earlier editions meant that even an Obsidian who, say, had Blood Pebble armor and a body shield, which is usually what Obsidian go for to get the, mm-hmm. the, the most armor kind of out of that, because of their lower dexterity, tended to get the armor-defeating hits more often and make their armor not worth anything. The changes to armor-defeating hits and the change to shields being a physical defense bonus instead of an armor bonus make Obsidian warriors, because warriors tend to be weapon and shield, yep. absolutely brutal like obsidian <laughs> warriors because because at that point you get a shield you get a body shield that gives a plus three to your physical defense that makes up for any physical defense for any dexterity yeah. shortcoming that you might have as a result of that period right and then so maybe you're back to eight or nine or ten right but then you stack you know and then you stack that with all of the warrior other stuff and the fact that you're looking at a like starting you don't need to really you can get to a base strength of step eight you know right out of the gate without really any Mm -hmm. investment of points and if you really want to go strong you can get up to a to a step nine um with an obsidian and just be an absolute monster when it comes to to dishing out damage (laughs) you don't rely on your karma over much but i've 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 got an obsidian warrior that is one of the pregens that i have for for the convention games that i run and he is awful He's awesome. <laughs> I was just thinking about an obsidian on a stagian for a cavalryman and just the strength bonuses. Yeah, the, go there. the problem with a cavalryman, and this is the kind of the case with with other like atypical obsidian disciplines, is that typically you are not going to be giving a stagian or a thunder beast or a dire or something like that to a starting yeah. character no. because no. they're they're power is so out of scale with the rest of the group Mm -hmm. so that that kind of while it's not prohibitive really kind of makes obsidian and cavalrymen hard to really really hard to to work into work into a game yeah 
Especially yeah, no, obsidian, obsidian are, are phenomenal. They're fantastic concepts of characters, and there's so much room for those characters to interact with everybody else. So I love them. I yeah. absolutely, absolutely love them from a game master perspective, from a player perspective, from my character perspective. I have loved them forever. And yes, I own both copies of the Life Rock novel. So yeah. <laughs> The Prospera press version and the um, Red Brick version. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. The, uh, yeah, just, you know, we, we talked about the Tuscrang sort of being an iconic Earth Dawn special thing. The Obsidian are right up there in terms of, of really making Earth Dawn feel different when it comes to your, your fantasy RPGs. Yeah. And if you want a visual aspect of what they look like, look at Korg from Thor Ragnarok. Oh, yeah. And... Thor, the Dark World, he fought one of the same race who didn't have a name. He was just a guy in the battlefield. He took down with one hit. But that's about the size they are as well. So the just look to them. And so if we're ever going to cast, because somebody asked the question, if we're ever going to cast... An, uh, uh, we get Taika Waititi to voice... Uh, we get we Taika, Taika Waititi to, to yeah. voice an Obsidian Man. Absolutely. There we, we go. do that. And we've got Korg for the screen representation. But if they do an animated feature, it's even better because that way, you know, the special effects come down way, way... Uh, more affordable on those. But anyway, anyway, we have gone on quite a while. Thank you, everybody, for sticking around. If you have, <laughs> if you have any answers to the questions that we posed way back at the beginning of the episode, if you have any other yeah. questions that you want to ask us or any feedback or anything like that, edsgpodcast at gmail.com. So, yeah, what did Josh and I do for our first anniversary in the podcast? What, what podcast related thing can we do for our first anniversary getting through that? And then secondly, how do we spread the word and advertise and get more people involved in Earth Dawn? Earth Dawn? Yes. That's it. So Other email that, us your social responses. medias, check the links, you know where to find us. Absolutely. Uh, get a hold of us at edsgpodcast at gmail.com. Otherwise, folks, thank you for listening. All this time, we're 80 minutes in. Woo, baby. Longest long one yet. One. It is time for you to go make your Obsidian Legend. Good night, everybody. 